Hi, this is Chef Sonia at Rooster Boy Cafe. My name is Alex Pitts. I'm the chef at Bizarre Meat. Hi, this is Jolie Menina. I'm the founder of SecretBurger.com, and we are listening to Two Sharp Chefs. Hello, and thanks for joining us. Two Sharp Chefs in a Microphone here. I'm Lorraine Moss, chef and journalist. And I'm Louis Victor, chef and professional food photographer. We started this podcast in memory of one of the best food culture ambassadors of all time, Anthony Bourdain. In his memory, we wanted to do the right thing and build a better sense of community among cooks, chefs, restaurant workers, and food lovers here in Las Vegas and worldwide. Louis, it's finally here. Happy Thanksgiving week. Happy Thanksgiving. All right. So it's a time, obviously, to get together feel grateful for the company of our loved ones. Of course, it's a little different this year. So for our Thanksgiving special, we're looking to better times when we can all gather in larger groups. Hopefully that'll happen soon again. Um, And we are bringing you some of our favorite chefs and hospitality peeps and their most evocative food memories. So for pandemic provisions today, we are talking about ours the two sharp chefs' uh, favorite food memories. I'm going to go ahead and start. And um, I'm just going to share about the times that um, I got to be with my grandpa, my mom's dad, um, Eric Baptista. Uh, His favorite place was to go to A&W Root Beer. (laughs) Um, I was born and raised in San Mateo, California, a tiny city on the peninsula in California on the West Coast. Um, And we would go to Bay Meadows, which was a horse racing track um, in San Mateo. Small one, not the size of like a Del Mar or anything. And he loved horse racing. So we'd go there and we'd spend our day there the morning. And then in the afternoon, we'd walk to A&W Root Beer. We'd have root beer floats, hamburgers and fries. (laughs) He taught me how to dip the fries in the root beer float, um, kind of like a frosty at Wendy's when you did that. Um, and, you know, I will go to Boulder City, um, where the closest A&W root beer is here to me, and I'll do exactly the same thing. And as food memories are, um, it brings me back to those moments with my grandpa, who was one of the most important pe- men in my life. And I would you know, it makes me think of him. It makes me think of like those great times, like the good old days of like hanging out with my grandpa and being able to be with one of my grandparents. And I don't have any now. So it's just kind of, you know, that nostalgia of having a grandparent and having them pat your head and drink your root beer float and eat your fries. So that's my food memory. Yeah, that's an amazing food memory. Mine goes along the same lines. Um, when I was growing up, there's a Chinese restaurant in the Philippines. It's actually a chain. It's called Look You In. And my dad... Look You In. Yeah. Look okay. You In. Okay. And my dad and my mom would always take me there. And they would always order the N45, which is <laughs> a braised beef noodle. Ah. Now, I, regardless of whether it was my mom taking me there or my dad taking me there, it will always be the N45. And I grew up, like all throughout the years, having the same dish. I actually immediately, um, it kind of like became my comfort food, braised beef noodles. So whenever I have this, whenever I crave it, I think mm-hmm. about my mom and my dad when they brought me there. So it's, it might be just as simple as like a little takeout dish, but it really is the company 
that you have it with and the memories that are associated with it. Yes. It doesn't have to be like foie gras and caviar, although those moments are fun. And obviously those are great food memories as well. Um, Mm -hmm. We're going to share some of those that are are like that. And we're going to share some of those that are like our memories where it's just, you know, being with somebody and eating something super simple. So we're going to start with the scents that remind us of the good old days. So smell, of course, is a scent that lingers the most um, in your memories. So let's go ahead and hear from one of our favorites, the Las Vegas pizza godfather, John Arena, co-owner of Metro Pizza, and why he associates the smell of pizza crust and tomato sauce with love. My dad worked, my dad worked in a factory in the morning and then he worked in our family pizzeria at night. So he wouldn't come home. I wouldn't see him from six in the morning until he'd come home at 12 or one at night. I'd be sleeping and my dad would come in to kiss me goodnight and I could smell the pizza. And I always associated the smell of the pizza with my dad's love for me, because I knew how hard he worked. Mm. So, oh my goodness. You know, so every time, I, every time I smell the aroma of pizza, the fragrance of pizza, it connects me to that feeling, that connection between food and love. Oh. Louis, have you ever heard anything better than that? Oh my God. <laughs> oh my gosh. John Arena. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what a treasure. Right? Uh, yeah, just hearing, we, we had goosebumps that whole podcast, Louie, remember? Yeah, I feel like a better individual just by listening to that podcast or like having that conversation with him. He's yeah. an amazing guy. What a beautiful person and, right. you know, one of the best pizzaiolos in the country, if not the world. Yeah. Uh, our good friend and co-owner of Barry's Downtown Prime, Yassine Layubi, our good friend, shares why the scent of one beautiful spice takes him back to his childhood in Morocco. Going back to my childhood in Morocco and my grandmother's cooking, especially the dishes where, and and you know, you think that saffron is a very uh, important spice in Moroccan cooking, but it's not used in every single dish. So maybe once a week she would cook using saffron and any dish with saffron just if I smell it when I go back to Morocco or I even hear the name of that certain tagine, the whole flavor profile comes back. From That's wonderful. Um, do you, I mean, do you remember how old you started to remember that or where you were sitting or, you know, what you were doing at the time while she was I, I, I remember it all. That's, that's the crazy thing. My grandparents lived in two homes in Morocco the entire, my entire childhood. And I remember exactly where the kids sat. The, 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 in the first house, it was very traditional. It was weird. It was the, the men sat in one room and the women sat in one room, but it was by default because my aunts and uncles were all very modern, new generation, and my grandparents more traditional, but it was just by default, kind of people came in the house and the women started going to the left room and the men to the right room and the kids were stuck in the middle because there'd be a table in each room for the kid. But I remember exactly where I sat. I remember who'd be at the table and I remember even the dishware. It was this Chinese dishware that had like peacocks on it and stuff that was used <laughs> for the big night. So I remember, yeah, I remember all those details. You know, uh, that smell, oh gosh, it's amazing how like when you smell one thing, it reminds you, it brings you back to that time, right? Right. What's your smell? Um, I think it's chocolate. The smell of chocolate, melted chocolate, you know, either in like the pot or coming out of the oven, those chocolate chip cookies. Um, that smell of chocolate chip cookies baking and then right. like taking them out and they're sitting on the counter and it's just as a little kid, you're just, 
oh my gosh, when can I eat that cookie? You know? Right. Like, <laughs> how about you? Mine's the smell of like bread that's just like out of the oven, fresh baked mm. bread. Gosh, that it's the best. Just, yeah. Have you ever like just like sniffed that kind of bread like it just in a bag? It's like crack. <laughs> yeah. Sure. It's just yeah. carbs. Give me carbs. Right. Carbs and chocolate. We're the worst. Okay. <laughs> um, well, sometimes the memory involves a specific restaurant, kind of what Louie talked about in the beginning, um, that you go to in specific conditions, like Zed and Malari of Happy Ending Chocolate and Derek Stevens, owner of Circa. The magic pan. Do you guys remember that? Are you guys? Yes, any I do. Chicken Devon a la crepe. Mm-hmm. And uh just going there, we went every year for my birthday. We used to go every year for my birthday. And I think like my 11th birthday or 10th birthday, we went and the restaurant was shut down uh, and it wasn't there anymore. But I just remember watching them make the crepes on the bottom of the pan um, and watching it go around. They would put the bottom of the pan into the crepe dip and they would peel it off the bottom of the pan. So that was the, the, the whole reason why it was called the Magic Pan. And we went every year for my birthday. And man, it was just magic every time we went. And then I would just go around, walk around the mall. And yeah. What did you like about the crepes? Um, you know, like as a kid, I was super picky, right? So most kids are. And it was just this perfect balance of uh, the chicken and Alfredo sauce, uh, broccoli. And at the time, you know, crepes are so regular now, you know, everybody makes crepes. But at the time, it wasn't a big deal, you know, and I was, I just thought it was a fancy pancake. (laughs) (laughs) My love of food goes way back. I've I've always loved it. And uh, my grandfather took me to this little Italian restaurant in uh, downtown Detroit on Saturday. Now, here's the deal. I had to go in with them into work on Saturday mornings at about 8 o'clock. And at 1130, we were able to go to a place called the Roma Cafe. It had been in Detroit for about 80 years. And I got myself a, a great a great bowl of uh, spaghetti and meatballs. It was my favorite meal. I only got it if I, if I went into work with Grandpa. So uh, uh, that was one thing that uh, kind of got me going to work on Saturdays because I loved it. You know, speaking of restaurant memories, Louie, um, both of us not only worked at Bazaar, but we've also eaten at Bazaar. And I always thought that was interesting, eating there. Um, you know how, as a cook or as a chef on the line, you know, you taste everything kind of in parts. It's like mm-hmm. you go down the line or when you're tasting um, all your stuff for your, for your prep and you taste it again in pieces. You know, you might have like a sliver of pepper or a sauce or a sauce as you're like cooking it down, you'll taste it, you know, in parts again, the stock or whatever. But a lot of the time during the day, you don't taste the whole product. The whole experience. Yeah. The way that the customer does. Mm -hmm. And so when you go in yourself and you enjoy the restaurant that you work at, it's a totally different thing. And it's funny how that works. I mean, you know that you work in a great place when you work at Bazaar Meat. You know you work at one of the best steakhouses, the best restaurants in the country by Jose Andres. Um, but then you come in and it's like a totally different experience. You know, it's the customer service. It's the, mm-hmm. the hospitality. Um, it's the experience of like, you know, the food being put down on the table and being explained to you. And then, you know, it just tastes different because again, you're tasting that, that full product. Exactly. What, was the, what was the experience for you? 
You know, I, I mean, if you sit down at Bazaar and become a diner guest, it, you absorb things from a guest perspective and it's like the whole package. So the yes. whole team is now behind that single dish. The team that relays the stories, the team that relays the food that mm-hmm. makes your food and brings it to your table, serves it to you. And you you become part of this lively atmosphere, mm-hmm. which is the Bazaar family. And uh, I think that's like what they have going on for them. That's their winning technique. Yes. And even for me, years later after leaving, um, and it goes back to that smell again, as soon as I walk, oh, you know, yeah. toward Bazaar, I start smelling the steaks and uh, smelling that my yard reaction. Um, yeah, that would, and, uh, <laughs> That would, and so, that fire kitchen is the biggest, like, come on. You can, like, smell Yes. It. Yeah. Like, right across like, what's cooking in that Cozuela? Like, mm-hmm. just, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but speaking of restaurants we love, um, let's listen to the next generation of wonderful women um, in charge of the world-famous Lotus of Siam. Penny Chua and Sabrina Chutima describe the simple dishes that remind them of life with mom and grandma. Something that brings me back to my childhood, like before my parents owned a restaurant and anything like that, my mom took care of me with whatever money that she had. So it was like all the time, noodle and fish sauce, that's it. So I'm born and raised in Los Angeles. Um, When probably when I was like five, actually no, I'm like around three, my mom got a restaurant. But prior to that, she was taking care of myself and like four other kids or people who work. So she was like doing side babysitting jobs. <laughs> and that's what we would have was uh, fish sauce and some noodles. <laughs> awesome. Well, I actually grew up with my grandma at the time. So I, d- I didn't get the whole fish sauce and vermicelli noodle like my sister did. <laughs> my grandma, on the other hand, she would make uh, stir fried snow peas with carrots and some pork. And she'd put that right on top of rice for me. And that was kind of like the staple growing up since, you know, as a kid, you don't really eat vegetables, but I, for some reason, had this like addiction to eating snow peas and snap peas and every every type of pea back in the day. Now I just absolutely hate it. But uh, (laughs) aside from that, my grandma would also give me frozen durian, so. Oh, stinky. (laughs) Yes, so I I don't know, uh, that's. (laughs) <laughs> so that was actually my number one staple to like absolutely love and eat. And even to this day, I'll, I'll bring durian into the house. And my sister will look at me funny and she's just like, no, go, go out. <laughs> uh, durian. durian. I've actually, I've actually never eaten it because I didn't have the balls. I should probably do it at some point. Maybe we'll do it together. Uh, we'll do it together. Um, I've smelled it and I'm you like, smell the frozen. Oh, I'm a major smell person so when something does not smell good to me I feel like I'm gonna gag and Mm -hmm. so I get that weird reflex where it's like so I have not tried durian yet how about you I actually have okay I really I have and um I tried it in the candy form and I tried it in the fresh form you can't you can't miss it when you're walking past by it in a market Mm -mm. no you you would you would have that smell. It's kind of like a rotting corpse. That <laughs> it's it it just like goes hits you straight in the back of your throat kind of deal. But yeah. the fruit itself, once you get over that, is super fantastic. Um, 
I haven't been able to do it yet. I will do it with you just to do it once, you know, eat it and see if I like it. Um, a smell that's disgusting, but to me, I don't mind eating is um, just like some of those blue cheeses that have that kind of like, almost like a feet smell. <laughs> Your hair has a feet smell. <laughs> um, I don't love that smell, but yeah. I can eat it because I super love cheese. So maybe I'll have that same experience with durian. <laughs> um, well, since Sabrina was talking about um, a frozen treat, check out the dessert that Myrene de los Angeles still loves. That's common in the Philippines, but some of us might find strange because of the combination of flavors. Louis does it. But I do. Very simple, but it, it always gives me like, you know, that that um, that uh, throwback feeling of, um, you know, just being a kid and having no worries. So it's going to have to be the dirty ice cream in the Philippines, which is uh, made out of uh, coconut milk. And um, usually they use like avocados or cheese or corn. But yeah, it's like somewhat of a weird flavor in Western standards, but over there it's like, you know, totally normal. Yeah. And I have no idea why they call it dirty ice cream because right. it's not. <laughs> the, the real name is sorbetes, people. Yeah. <laughs> the ice cream man with a bell. Exactly. Right? So for those of us who have not grown up in the Philippines or been to the Philippines, mm -hmm. talk to me about that flavor because those are not what we would normally do here in America. So exactly. how does that go together? It's like savory sweet or? It's actually. Yeah, how do you feel about cheese, Lorraine? Yeah. I actually tried it once, um, the Magnolia brand queso um, ice cream. I didn't love it. Um, and I didn't like Why? the avocado ice cream either. I, well, I'm all in for ube, okay? <laughs> they have that too. You know? I'm all in for red bean, the ma maca... Macapono. Ma I'm all in for that. <laughs> That's okay. so awesome. But the, the dirt, dessert, I don't know if it's one of those things where you like, maybe you just have to be used to it. Maybe, tell, maybe tell us what it sounds like. Maybe it's an acquired taste, but yeah. you know, I, I mean, I always tell people when they say like, oh, it's cheese ice cream. That's weird. It was like, you, you, you eat cheesecake, right? Yeah, like, right. It, you're right. So it's like, kind of like that. Some people don't like cheesecake, but I don't know. It's just that sweet. It has those like cheese, um, cheese bits. So it's like sweet and savory, which yeah, I think. Yeah, sweet and salty. Yeah, sweet and salty. Yeah, so it's like, I don't know. It's it's like ice cream and chips. Like, you know, when you're like. It's you, like you're eating fries. <laughs> fries with your uh, frosty. frosty? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there you go. Dirty. So dirty. Dirty. <laughs> A la Christina Aguilera. Um, dirty ice cream is something you love too, right, Louie? Yes, of course. I grew up with it. And um, it's, it's, it's kind of like a treat because we don't really quite have that haagen or anything. We have Magnolia ice cream, which actually mm. I feel like uh, they got their flavors from actual dirty ice cream. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Um, all right. Dirty in like the cool sense, the way that Christina Aguilera is talking about it. Um, like you dirty, you cool. Um, that's Elizabeth Faulkner. Um, we have badass celebrated chef Elizabeth Faulkner and she likes the taste of all things icy as well. And it's because of her parents, um, on the fly snow ice cream. When I was a little kid, my, um, 
parents made snow ice cream one time when it was like freshly snowing. We happened to be living in Texas for a couple of years. And, um, and it snowed and then we ran out and got put some cream in it and some vanilla. And I was like, oh my God. And I've always ever since then been like in love with anything that feels like having snow ice cream. You know, like whether it's shaved ice or yeah. making an ice cream with not so much cream. So that's that's a really good early food memory for me. Then you have to kind of fast forward to later years when you, like the first time I had oysters from the East Coast, I'm from the West Coast, but and I love, you know, West Coast oysters too, but the first time I ever had the super briny, wealthy, you know, Massachusetts oysters was yeah. like, whoa, I, like, I, I really like oysters after I tried those. Um, actually, the first time that I had East Coast oysters was Bizarre Meat um, when I worked really? in the seafood room. Yeah, my whole life I had West Coast oysters. Um, and I do prefer the West Coast oyster. Um, <laughs> unlike Elizabeth, I love the West Coast oyster. Um, I think it's, you know, I like how it's it's deeper. So it's kind of like a chunkier oyster. More a cup. Yeah. Um, and I like how it's a little sweeter and less like metallic, that metallic aftertaste that I get in these coist oysters a lot. Um, what's, what's your favorite? Well, it really depends on what you're in the mood for it. Cause like, yeah, yeah. Like, are, like a wine, they absorb their terroir. Mm-hmm. So East coast oysters tend to be brinier, tend to be like more liquid, more loose. Flatter. Yeah. Uh, um, a lot of times bigger, you know, colder waters. Um, and you're right. It has like that metallic, like, mm-hmm. like aftertaste, fishy taste. Um, but they're excellent, super excellent, as opposed to like a creamy, you know, nice bodied cup uh, West Coast oyster. But mm-hmm. it really depends on your mood. You can't really say like, what do you want? Do you want, like, yeah, you know, I just or. I think I just thought of it. So if I eat a West Coast oyster, oyster like a Kumamoto, um, I eat it alone. And I don't put anything in it. I just taste the sea. Um, Because of that metallic aftertaste on an East Coast oyster, like um, a naked cowboy or a Rappahannock, that kind of Mm -hmm. oyster, um, I like it with the cocktail sauce, with the mignonette, with the lemon, with the Tabasco sauce. Um, That balance to me is beautiful. Um, But eating it alone still for me, I just get that weird taste in the back of my throat that I, I don't love. Well, yeah, most people like would would say like it tastes almost like mud sometimes, but I mean it it is what it is. It's like a, a living, breathing thing that's absorbing all like the minerals where it lives. So. I mean, I love oysters. Give me oysters and freaking caviar and champagne, and I'm a happy person. Just give me oysters on a- just <laughs> let's do it. We're gonna move on to Chef Gary Lamort of Honest Hospitality. And um, he has a slightly less delicious food memory, but it's hilarious. And um, it includes one of the greatest American chefs of all time, Thomas Keller. You got to hear this. I would say definitely um, eating fermented herring with Thomas Keller in Sweden. Wow. Oh, oh my gosh. Tell us about that. Yeah. Well, we went to, uh, I worked for him and I, myself and a few other chefs, one from each of his restaurants, went with him to do a pop-up uh, in Sweden. And uh, after we were done doing the restaurant events, we kind of toured, did a food tour. And um, one of the restaurants we went to was served very traditional food. And uh, one of the items that they said nobody wants to try, but was the most unique, uh, was this fermented herring dish. 
you have to um, you have to sit outside to eat it. <laughs> Ooh, it's that strong. So they won't serve it inside the restaurant. So they had a nice big picnic tables set up outside and they had like the heat lamps all around because it was cold out. We literally wrapped ourselves in blankets and on the table there was, was bottles of Aquavit. Like not like one, but like basically like one for every two people. And um, they bring out a bucket of water and this can of fermented herring and they literally they put it under water so when they open it up you don't get like blasted <sighs> by it and um they serve it with a, a flatbread very similar to a flour tortilla and uh red onions and uh, soured cream and literally it's uh it smells like a dead body and what? <laughs> the taste the uh so we're sitting at the table and I'm sitting here, Thomas is sitting in front of me and we're surrounded by a bunch of chefs and you're smelling it and everything inside of you is saying, do not put this in your mouth. Yeah. Do not do it, right? And, um, but there's a lot of social pressure and like he picks it up and takes a bite of his. So of course, like I pick mine up and I take a bite of mine. And uh, the thing is you take a bite, you do a shot. Oh, okay. So this was, you know, a tradition that happened obviously in the wintertime, everybody'd run out of food, and you know, at the end there, there wasn't a lot left, and uh, this is what they had. So this is how they got through it. The next day, I was talking to the other chefs, and I was like, "Man, I can't believe I got down like eight bites of this fermented herring." And they all looked at me, and they're like, "You ate it?" And I was like, "You guys didn't eat it?" And I realized that because I was sitting across from Thomas, me and him were the only ones eating it. Nobody else ate it. Oh man. <laughs> So we kind of change sometimes the way we act in front of um, our bosses in life, anybody, any boss. Uh, but in a kitchen, there's like almost like a higher respect level. It's like um, being in the military. It's like they're above you um, in like stature, uh, in experience and in many things. And then you take that a step further <laughs> and now you're working for like a celebrity chef or a Michelin star chef like a Thomas Keller. Um, Louie and I have had these experiences before, um, either cooking for a Thomas Keller or a Ferran Adria or working for Jose Andres or right. working for Mary Sue Milligan and Susan Feniger. Like there's just like a certain um, respect level that's just uh, just a lot higher than, <laughs> than an average person, right? Or an, even an average chef for that matter. Uh, it's, it's funny. Um, one of the things that, um, Jose Andres does is he, you know, he walks around the kitchen and, and as everybody knows that that's seen him on TV or in person, he's got a very commanding presence. And so, um, when you're around him, it's almost like, you know, you kind of sit up straighter or stand up straighter, <laughs> your chin's up a little bit more. Right. Um, everything's like super clean around you. You know, you're just like cleaning everything to make sure it looks beautiful. Um, your dishes are like extra tall and like, uh, as beautiful as possible, which you could say would be with any chef. But I, I mean, come on, it, it, there is a difference when um, Jose Andres or Thomas Keller or Ferran Adria is in the room. Totally. What's been your experience, Louis? <laughs> Well, even if it's like a dish that you've executed so many times when your boss is there, your boss, and I'm talk talking about your boss. <laughs> your big time, <laughs> your big time world-renowned boss, right? 
even if you've done it a million times, you're going to freeze up and you're going to doubt yourself every step of the way. But the best thing mm-hmm. that you can do is just like put yourself on that plate, man. Put yourself on yeah. that plate, serve it up to them. If they like it, they like it. Um, if they have feedback, take it. Yes. So that's the way to do it. We chef, see chef, yes, yes. chef. <laughs> There's Those are the only answers that are acceptable. Yeah. No, no, but, (laughs) but this, but that, and your feelings don't matter. No, no feelings and no no stories, as Chef Alex says at Bizarre Meat. (laughs) Exactly. Um, You know, as chefs, uh, many times, uh, it's these strong food memories that shape how we cook and what kind of business we decide to even go after in the future, like Chef Mariana Alvarado, owner of Mas Azul. My, my dad be- belongs to a small community. Um, he was born in a very small town in Mexico, um, in a different state, not in Mexico City. And he um, has a lot of friends that make actual hand-pressed tortillas um, with a comal, with a clay comal. And just grabbing a fresh tortilla that is just puffing from a hot comal, that is for me like the ultimate food just with a sprinkle of salt roll it eat it warm just right there that's 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 what always moved me it takes one year of work from planting the seed taking care of the plant um grinding it drying it grinding it cooking it and then pressing and puffing it's it's a whole lot of work for just a simple thing so that is why um i think just a simple fresh tortilla from beautiful corn it's it's one of the best memories that i have and that is why i pursue you know um this company and what i'm doing to bring that to many others gosh that was honestly like one of the best newer podcasts um podcasts of this year i just really loved it it was uh so awesome to learn about something new next to malaya's corn tortillas and mm-hmm. why they're special um and she's absolutely right there's nothing in the world like a fresh tortilla that comes off the comal and just that puffiness that happens right before it melts in your mouth i mean you could have it with a little butter and salt or even just plain it's super delicious right you're going back to like my what i said about like uh, fresh baked bread mm, yeah is it ever the same if you put it in a bag and it sits on your counter for a week hell no no so that's why we <laughs> should buy mas azul yes it's stunning it's perfect um, okay, so we have one more food memory for you from Chef Brian Howard of Sparrow and Wolf, and he shares a simple message about why it's usually more about the company than the actual food. I grew up around a lot of Kraft mac and cheese and Chef Verdi ravioli. Everything came in a can or in a box. Um, my grandmother was my inspiration in the sense that she would plant tomatoes outside of her trailer. She would host all of the dinner parties for the holidays uh, at her house um, and I liked the side of entertaining I think uh, that people would come together uh, my family wasn't very close I would say where you know there was no like every Sunday dinner and thing like that so when the opportunity that everybody had an opportunity to sit around the table together I think it was really enamoring for me and inspiring and my grandmother would uh, showcase me how to make certain dishes that she knew um, growing up 
it goes back to my grandmother's tables, mm-hmm. right? And those holidays and, and seeing her put the, the spreads together and, and the nice platters of food. Uh, so maybe it isn't a hard question. Uh, I think that that's the one that I relate to most. Now I've had many experiences as, in this industry and, you know, we're blessed to, um, you know, uh, cater to certain people and see lots of different things and experience so many different things. But I think it's the, the most humbling and rewarding ones are, are being able to sit at a table with those that we love most. And of course, we love all of you. Thank you so much for your support over the last, what, year and a half or so, a little bit more than a year and a half. Um, We're grateful, of course, for all your inspiring stories that you share with us and you share with the audience. Um, Thanks for liking our posts, for taking the time to listen for 30 minutes, um, to write a positive review. um, And then, you know, honestly, telling your friends to listen, that's been, we're so grateful for that because that's honestly what grows this podcast. It's what keeps us going and motivated to keep bringing you whatever we can every single week. Um, give a voice to the chefs and restaurateurs, the hospitality people in Las Vegas and around the country. So it's been a crazy effed up year, <laughs> 2020, um, in so many ways. I am not even going to try to count them. I'm not even going to try to go over what those are. We all know those. We've, we know them. Uh, so instead, Let's talk about what we're thankful for for this year. This is actually something that we do at our dinner table every single year before we eat. Um, So I'm thankful, of course, for the health of my husband and my dogs. Uh, Dexter is in remission. It's going to be like the best thing about 2020. So um, he gets mast cell tumors. Um, He had stage two cancer, but the vet just told us that he is officially in remission. So that's probably the happiest news of the entire year. And of course, I'm grateful for you, Louie, and all that you do for this podcast. Um, Likewise. likewise. uh, And, you know, just... It's there's so many things to be happy about, even though there are a lot of things also to not be happy about. I always feel like there's more things to be happy about than not be happy about. Exactly. I try. Mm-hmm. How about you, Louie? Uh, I'm thankful, first and foremost, for the health of my family and my friends. Um, I'm always worried for my hospitality industry friends who are actually out there serving meals to everyone. Please stay safe throughout this season. And thankful for you, Lorraine, of course. Um, this podcast has been going strong because of your all your hard work and all that. And I'm thankful that I'm still able to do what I'd love to do, despite like what 2020 just like served <laughs> to us, you know? <laughs> yeah. We just keep yeah. going. And uh, you know, please keep going, all of you, and let us know how we can help you. Because as we always say, we got your back. So happy Thanksgiving. Um, Happy football holiday, as Andy Murphy says. (laughs) Happy eating. Happy napping. Because I always do a little nap during the day during Thanksgiving. Um, Shout out again to our indigenous friends. Happy Native American Heritage Month. It's very important to learn about our Native brothers and sisters, especially this time of year. It's a good reminder. Thank you guys so much. And we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Two Sharp Chefs in a Microphone. We love subscribers almost as much as we love food. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review. 
and check out Two Sharp Chefs. That's with a number two on Instagram and Facebook, as well as our WordPress blog. Email us with any questions and ideas at twosharpchefs at gmail.com. And Louie, we stream new episodes every Monday on iTunes, Spotify, Radio Public, and Stitcher. It's been a pleasure. We're 86th. Till next week. <laughs>